episode 14 of DevTalk, I speak to Agnes Veshahed about developing native cross-platform apps using Kotlin Native. Welcome to episode 14 of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Agnes Veshahed. Hello, Agnes. Hi, Kerry. Thanks for having me in the show. Well, thank you for being my guest. Um, I remember you used to work at a Hungarian company that I highly value. It's called Bitrise. And you contacted me because I used to be on the MVVM Cross team. And Bitrise were trying to get MVVM Cross to compile under Bitrise. And uh, it wasn't working out of the box because we were not an app. We were a library. And that's why you contacted me. Is that right? Yeah, correct. I think it must have been like three years ago. I was a developer advocate at this company. And I remember it was like mm -hmm. seven or like six or seven people at that point. I just heard they raised $20 million this year uh, or this week, sorry. So that's amazing. Uh, they're highly successful. I remember back then we were like, all of us are just like trying to do whatever you can get your hands on. So I had no idea about Xamarin or MEVM Cross or anything. So I was just like, it is not working. I have to like find out what this thing is and then find the right person to help me. So I think that's how I contacted you in the first place. Can you tell us what Bitrise did back then or does now? Yeah, so Bitrise is a continuous uh, delivery service. I think like right now they they might be doing a lot more because they acquired a company or something recently so they grew big i think back then it started out as a ci cd service for for mobile applications and then it just started growing and growing we started supporting um Xamarin builds and react native builds and all kinds of applications and I think the idea was to make it very, very easy for developers to, to deploy their applications uh, without actually understanding all the, the scripting, the tooling under the hood that you know you, you're required to use in order to get the build out in the App Store or the Google Play Store. Mm -hmm. So that's how it all started. And then I think these days they're actually getting more into more developer tool support um like a broader support for for developers to um, publish their apps or like i don't know instrument monitor broader features okay well it seemed like they were um, like pioneers in the field it was at a time when when we when whenever we did a new app we set up our own jenkins locally and then we uh plugged devices in and we had a mac and a windows machine and everything was really complicated and it almost took like a full person to to care about um, or to just um, make sure that everything is up and running and the the build system is working and and then along came bitrise and it was like oh this this is we just uh, put in our our github url and and just hit build and it just works automatically it was really uh, really nice at the time and I, I think um, like like Microsoft seems to have copied some of that concept. Yeah, I think it was one of the first services to support this idea of a very easy to use CI CD tool because mm -hmm. yes, normally like you mentioned and like even today at bigger companies, you would have something like a 
team of automation engineers and um, Jenkins instances, master Jenkins, and then a room full of Mac minis and and um, Linux machines and whatnot. So it is kind of a big struggle, but Bitrise and some other companies, they started at the same time, um, try to make it easier for people by hosting this whole service and hiding all that complexity from you. So like, as, as you mentioned, you just put your GitHub, GitHub URL in, it recognizes if this project is an iOS project, a native iOS project, or an Android project, or a React Native project. I'm assuming they support a lot more by now. And um, from that point, you can put uh, your whole workflow together from steps. And I think the fantastic and awesome idea of Bitrise was to make these steps open source. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, if you wanted a step where you publish I don't know, iOS artifacts, or you use MVVM cross or something spe specific to your project, okay. you could add a Bitrise step yourself as a user, because it was open source, you, you were able to contribute into what is the set of these workflow steps that you can add to your project to build. Okay. I think that's very clever, this community-based approach. Yeah, that sounds really good. And then, but then something happened that I, uh, I wasn't expecting. Um, I started following you on Twitter, and uh, all of a sudden uh, you wrote, "Oh, I'm moving to the states. I'm moving to San Francisco, and uh, I'm going to be working there." And and uh, I thought that was um, kind of unusual for someone working as a developer in Hungary. Exactly, Hungary. That's that's where I'm from. Mm -hmm. Yes, I actually know only a handful of people in the in the city in San Francisco who came uh, here from Hungary so that was not a usual jump I feel like yeah people from Eastern Europe would first let's say if they wanted to like try out themselves in um, uh, in abroad they would move to like Western Europe um, Germany uh, Netherlands London London England. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of people in London. So they would move there. And then if they're working at companies with US headquarters, they might as well just move out. So what I did, on the other hand, was mm -hmm. um, I met a person at a conference where I was speaking at at the time in Japan. And we went out for dinner, I think, and then breakfast. And we hung out a lot. And he said, like, I'm working at this startup. I'm the CTO we are making custom fit glasses that people buy based on an augmented reality view of rendered glasses that we make in an iOS app. And I want you to work on this app with me in San Francisco. And I was like, this sounds amazing. I kind of want to do this. So this is, this is how it all happened. And after a very long and miserable visa process, um, because U.S. immigration is kind of famous for that. I ended up here two years ago. And yeah, that's the, that's the story of the move. Okay, so you started working at that company. And uh, did you release the app while you were still there? Yes. As a matter of fact, we did. And it is in the App Store. And you can download it. You can take a video selfie of yourself. You can see 
topology glasses rendered perfectly on your face and then you can buy the glasses. And they would actually make it in their office in San Francisco mm-hmm. with their hands. So it's like actual handmade high quality glasses. And yeah, so we did launch the app and it's been, it's been pretty successful, I think. Um, our team was growing and everything was going well. And since I was there from the very beginning and I saw the, the app grow up so fast, um, last summer it was time to, to let it go and uh, make, a, make a big jump to construction, which I'm working in right now because I moved to work at PlanGrid. Mm-hmm. And PlanGrid is a construction software. I moved to PlanGrid because I knew a couple of people on their iOS team and I knew them being very good professionals. So I, I went there, I talked to them and then I interviewed and they're all awesome. I felt like I could learn a lot working at a, a team of this size because we are like about 10 iOS engineers working instead of just me and another person. So I felt like it would be very um, great for me to earn this kind of experience of working on a bigger team. And they're all very talented, experienced people. So I wanted to grow a little bit um, deeper in some of the iOS development. When I think of um, construction software, I don't think of mobile devices. Okay, yeah, exactly. Very good point. So this is where PlanGrid comes to the picture because PlanGrid is the first excellent mobile-first construction software. So I like when people explain what PlanGrid is by saying PlanGrid is the GitHub of construction Uh because it technically is. So imagine having like... I don't know if how much you know about how construction works, but it is a very low efficiency um, industry in general because there's a lot of labor involved, there's a lot of manual processes involved. And so how people do it normally is by having one single source of truth, which is the blueprint at the construction site, and they would build the building based on those plans, right? Like that's mm-hmm. very basic on the high level. But when, you, when you're working in a software or you're working on a construction, you make mistakes, right? So you have to correct your plans to adjust to reality. So sometimes like normal construction would be like, uh, old school construction would be like, oh, hey, there, like, there's a mistake on this plan. There's no window on this wall, but it has to be there. And so what happens then is that they have to print a new version of this, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, they find new changes. So like they would just like patch and patch all these, these blueprints and it takes like, it takes an hour or two. I don't know how much time actually to, to actually get a new piece of blueprint on the construction side. So there's so many errors involved in this, not to mention like, how much you can gain with digitalizing this whole thing. So mm-hmm. like PlanGrid would be digital blueprints that you can annotate, you can create tasks on, you can you can assign tasks to people, you can message people, you can you can use the um, 
all the um, conventional tools digital in a digital version, like field reports or RFIs. So it's like the whole field uh, operation on mobile devices that you can walk around with in a field and like have real-time updates from your architect or from your GC, whatever. So it's really, it's really um, revolutionized the construction uh, industry, I think. Yeah, that sounds like a really good idea because it used to be like completely separated. You do the planning here and then you print it all out and then we do construction and, and it's like, like waterfall, right? We, yeah. Waterfall development, uh, everything is planned and then we'll build it and nothing, uh, nothing will be able to change or, or... Or you start again, basically, yeah. Make, makes a lot of sense, yeah. Exactly. And the mobile is very important because you have to, most of the team is on the field and they walk around and they see something, they can snap a picture, they can create a task right away, or they can create an RFI, send it an email to, to an architect or whatever. It's like very, it's very prompt for, for construction mm -hmm. and it's version. So I think that's, that's also why we like to think about it as a GitHub of construction, because you get versioned blueprints, we call them sheets. So you can even compare what has changed in a sheet from a previous version to the current one, which is very helpful to these people. Right, so th that would be the Git of construction, but is it also the GitHub? Yeah. Do, you, do you share with others? Um, I mean, there's a whole organization that you can buy. Um, so you can you can get a whole organization into Planguid. You can have several projects, and inside the project there are the the blueprints, the the project itself, and these sheets. And then you can use you can version these sheets, and then you can have issues. Um, you can have all these like documentation around the project, like we use Wiki on GitHub or issues. Okay. They they use these reports and documents. Like private GitHub repos, uh, but you don't share with the whole world, but you, you have, have a team and you're collaborating yeah. and you have all this information. Oh, yeah. You definitely don't share okay. it with the world. It's, it's very highly, yeah, private. Well, I don't know. Maybe if, if I have a balcony, maybe somebody else can use it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. It's I feel like PlanGrid is for for construction, commercial construction, mostly. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for building a house, it's probably an overkill to use PineGrid. I do know about some residential constructions using PineGrid, but I think it's mostly commercial. Think about skyscrapers and stadiums and, and such. Okay. So what technology are you using to develop the apps there? Yeah, so we do have a couple of clients uh, we have an iOS client, an Android client, a Windows client, and a web client. So besides all the backend stuff, we use um, mostly Swift and some Objective-C on iOS. Uh, the Android app is mostly written in Kotlin, I think. And the Windows app is obviously C-sharp and all of the clients, actually, they all use some kind of reactive programming paradigm. Um, I'll, I'll 
get back to this later because it's kind of related to the next topic, which is we do use some cross-platform uh, at Playing With and, and that is new. We started um, experimenting with Kotlin Native recently. So um, our plan is to try to move most of the, the code that we created on all the client platforms to download and upload certain data from our backends. So just imagine regular downloading some kind of JSON model, parsing it, saving it to the database, and then um, let's say editing it and then sending it back or something. So all these flows are implemented one-off on every client. And um, there's um, an excellent mobile platform team at PlanWid working on making this better by introducing Kotlin Native and starting building out all these um, downloading, uploading functionalities in a cross-platform code. Okay, so this is own like real business logic, uh, no UI, and is that what it's doing? Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a non-goal to to do any UI in cross-platform because we do have lots of custom drawing in PlanGrid uh, for like rendering the annotations on the sheets and some like two D, three D graphic stuff. We did want to keep all of that native because we do want to keep highest performance and we don't want to um, take on like a too much risk. So sharing code on the lower level, like networking in our case, mm -hmm. is a low risk bat because it's, it's obviously something that it's like basically boilerplate on all platforms. And that's, that's the boilerplate we want to take away so we potentially reduce some mistakes here and there so you ch you chose kotlin native uh, I, th I think alternatives would have been like c++ maybe or c um, well, you know why this decision was made to use kotlin native yeah so one of the main i think the main reasons were that the android team already uses Kotlin. Mm -hmm. So we have this expertise in-house, not just Kotlin, but Gradle too. So that's that's an interesting part of Kotlin native that you actually have to use Gradle um, as the, the build tool, tooling for, for Kotlin native okay. projects. So having a team of people in the company who already know Kotlin and Gradle was a huge plus because we needed someone to actually lead this initiative. So they have been a huge help to, to this whole idea. And they obviously support it because it's their language. So they just write the same language, like the same code in a different repo, and then it gets deployed to all other clients. So it's very, it's very convenient for them. So as an iOS dev, I, I know you've done Objective-C and Swift, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. How does it compare? How does Kotlin compare? I think Kotlin is very nice in general. It reminds me of Swift in some ways, um, but it's also 
it's also different. I feel like it's less complicated than Swift. Is it? It's a an object oriented imperative language, right? Like Swift is. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely object oriented. I think it has similar language support than than Swift to mm-hmm. to write um, decent code. I don't know too much about Kotlin at this point because I'm. I was introduced to this whole Kotlin native idea a month ago. So what I, where I'm at right now is I'm trying to write code and I'm reading a Kotlin book at the same uh-huh. time. And I'm also trying to learn how to deal with Gradle, which proved to be the, the most painful part of this whole process. But the end goal is to have all these people at the company who works on mobile have some kind of experience with, with Kotlin and so they can contribute to this shared uh, code base. And the end result is um, from Kotlin native, we build different artifacts through our CI. Um, I think uh, C headers, okay. uh, framework with C headers for Windows, mm-hmm. uh, framework with Objective-C headers for iOS, and Kotlin is just Kotlin on Android, as far as I know. Maybe a Calib, I'm not super certain, but definitely not a big deal for them. So this is is how it works. And it's it's been very interesting so far, seeing what kind of difficulties people run into, because Kotlin native is very new. Mm -hmm. So I think the whole like the whole promise of Kotlin native is that Kotlin, the project itself, the language itself, I think they made some kind of promise that at one point they would want to support multi-platform as like a first party, like a built-in tool in the language. Mm-hmm. And I think Kotlin native is what compromises for not having that yet. And so it's a huge project, but it's new, it's moving fast. And so many times I would run into something, like I would run into an issue in my own like local environment. And since I'm new to Kotlin, I'm new to Kotlin native, I'm new to Gradle, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing and I would be debugging something for like an hour. And then I asked this guy who's like our main, um, like the leader for this project. And he's like, oh yeah, there's a compiler um, issue in Kotlin native. There's a there's a there's an issue in GitHub. You can try to like help them um, reproduce this case. And I'm like, oh oh okay. So I'm not used to that kind of you know that kind of new yeah. because Swift was new years ago. But then at the company at bigger companies, you wouldn't start working with Swift right away when it was like 1.2. Um, companies would better just adopt Swift when it was already like three point something. So like right now, Kotlin native is this very new thing that's moving fast. It's open source. So you can, you can see if there are issues with it, you can, you can figure out what's wrong, but it's very, it's not super stable. You have to be part of the whole project and we are. So our company is actively contributing back. Yeah, my, my impression was that Swift was at a better maturity level when it was first released 1.0. It 
than Kotlin native is now. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's different. There, there were things with, with Swift too, but I feel like there's a huge crowd who would use Swift as a language versus Kotlin native is a smaller um, group of people. So I feel like Swift will always be able to move faster because they have millions of people running their code. Right. Well, la last month in our company, we have what we call a camp. Uh, it's like four days a year where the whole company or basically all of the, the German part of the company, we meet in a hotel somewhere. Usually it's somewhere in Germany and we do something. We try to try to learn something, try to make the best out of the, those four days. And this year we had a team of like uh, multiple topics got together and it was like 100, 100 people. And we try to build a popcorn maker, like a super over-engineered uh, popcorn maker. Um, and we had like mechanics teams, electronics, and uh, it was uh, it was crazy. We had like four different apps uh, for this popcorn maker, and like Azure backend, AWS, and it was it was completely overkill, um, and like a robot for delivering popcorn <laughs> at home and. Um, out of the, the flavoring, put That's salt nice. on and uh, um, caramel, and it was it was really crazy. Um, so one of the teams was they were trying Kotlin Native. This was the app for actually triggering, uh, ordering um, the uh, the popcorn, not the app that you used to pay with Bitcoin for your own popcorn. Um, um, that was a different app, but this this app they tried to build in Kotlin Native. And they were like semi-happy. I, th I think they only got it to work on one platform on uh, either I iOS or Android. And uh, But I think w the difference here was that they were also doing UI using Kotlin native. And um, I think it, it was uh, really giving them a hard time. And they their verdict was that it was not quite there yet, and but it, was, it looked very promising. Yeah, I can I can totally understand that, especially if you're aiming for sharing UI code. I have no idea how would I do that with Kotlin native, to be honest. But I think whenever okay. whenever someone tries to, you know, like you try to opt into multi-platform because you feel like there is a huge gain, of like sparing time, sparing resources, um, trying to avoid more errors. But there's always a trade-off, right? And I think. Like the the narrower the scope of where you actually use this technology, the the lower the risk is. So I think UI UI sounds like kind of risky. Yeah. I'm, so far, my only problem is really Gradle. Although there is Kotlin DSL now, uh, but Gradle is really is really difficult to to get around. And uh, IntelliJ as an ID is also not super great, but I actually like Xcode. Uh, and then recently we ran into a problem with Apple where we submitted our app for review and then they found something that they interpreted as a problem with our binary and it was because of Kotlin native. So there are some like smaller hiccups like that, but it's, it's, been, it's been fine. 
Okay. Um, so just for my understandings, um, if you're using, you're writing code and you're writing this library that that's just logic. Uh, what do you have available? You have the, the programming language, like you can, you can add and subtract and you can do function calls and, uh, stuff like that. But, but what kind of API surface do you have to use? Like if you want to make an HTTP call or something like that, uh, what is available there? So actually, I believe it connects back to the native client at that point. Mm -hmm. So imagine that you write code between the actual networking and the database. So like the networking part when when the client is at the point when they have like they want to, to make a request to the network, mm -hmm. they would call back into the native code and make whatever networking library they use to to make the network call okay so but but is it like a a, a common api sorry yeah um is it like a common api surface that uh you use for for the both platforms if you want to like write into a file or talk to the sqlite database yeah so if i understand correctly i i think how it works is we have this framework that we are writing and so we have these like callbacks type of methods implemented mm -hmm. so whenever you're you're at the point of making the network request you just call into this you, you call this method and that gets called on the native code in the native code and then that's where you can like trigger your network request Okay. Yeah, so I, on iOS, that would be like NS or URL request. It's like a built-in library. So whenever the, the Kotlin code calls into this function, this function gets called in the native code, and I do the network request with my own native library. Right. Well, I see the similarities to um, maybe, you know, I've been uh, in, in the Xamarin community for a few years now. And um, there's like similar problems. You um, like doing an HTTP, HTTP request. What they did was they re-implemented the entire network stack, uh, inclu including HTTP, on um, basically using C# -sharp code. And uh, of course, that runs cross-platform. But then it just gets very difficult you like you, there's a new version of of TLS um, to, for for HTTPS connections and then they went ahead and re-implemented that for uh, using C# -sharp code and um, they finished oh, that implementation gosh. and then they um, they abandoned it because they they were in review they they were auditing their own implementation and um uh, ha having seen these uh, bugs that can surface in in TLS stack implementations on on other platforms, they just decided, okay, it's, it's not worth the effort. Effort, it's not worth the risk, and they never released the TLS 1.2 implementation. And now they're saying uh, you can use HTTP client, but it's going to call the the Apple native or Android native implementation. Um, and uh, we'll just pass that responsibility on to the vendors that actually make those APIs. That's crazy. Yeah, that sounds pretty dangerous. 
And like if you're a company who wants to adopt this technology, there is such a huge risk in them abandoning the project, as you said they did. It's it's too much. It's too much responsibility. I feel like what we are doing is the exact opposite. We're trying to we're trying to do cross-platform with the code that's boilerplate. It's not difficult to understand. It doesn't rely on much mm-hmm. any like third party. The only thing that we decided, and it's risky, but we decided to do is the, the database part. So we do use SQL Delight. I think it was um, it's a it's a library developed by Square. Uh-huh. They also do Kotlin native, and they created this library to to for Kotlin native projects to work with SQLite. So that's why we use on top of uh, our SQLite database in iOS. Okay, is there anything else you want to talk about with Kotlin Native that you think the user would be interested, uh, the the listener would be interested in? Yeah, I think one interesting side effect of this contribution between our mobile teams at Flanged was that we figured out that all of our, all of our clients are using some kind of reactive programming framework on the on the clients on the specific platforms like RX or RX Reactive Swift or RX Kotlin, or I don't know how they call it. So one thing that we figured out is that everyone else was using RX and iOS was using Reactive Swift, which is also a reactive programming library, but it's like, like, like a little bit different. So when, so now that the mobile teams are, more like contributing to the same code base and you know like you have to define the interface of the shared code in a way mm-hmm. and if you have like windows and android using rx they talk the same paradigms they 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 understand what they're talking about they want the same interface they want observers and observables and ios on the other hand is like okay but we have signals and signal producers what does that mean so one thing that we might going to do, and we actually have a hack week going on next week, uh, same as you mentioned for for your company that you had, where we just like hack things for for mm-hmm. the entire week. I think one hack week project is going to be moving uh, the iOS code from Reactive Swift to RX Swift just to to be on the same page with the other clients. And I think it's it's huge. I think for the long term, like maintainability and reliability of our all of our client code i think and are supporting our mobile teams it's it's a huge opportunity to share code and share paradigms it's just so good for for long-term high quality yeah i'm interested in how it turns out for you and and if you stick with this technology uh through throughout the next releases and also if uh, how, how the community accepts kotlin native and it, it seems like on the on the not just plain Kotlin side, it's just uh, it's on a run. Um, Google has officially said Kotlin is the way to go. No more Java, or we still have Java, but uh, we're going to support it a little bit. Um, so let's see how it all works out. Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping it will just grow and grow, and uh, the more companies start using it, the better support we all have so I'm a pro 
pro-Kotlin native. <laughs> Thank you very much, Agnes, for being my guest today. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we will hear each other again in two weeks. Bye bye. Thank you.